Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to another edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How you doing? I'm Chuck. I am Godless. And this is your weekly examination of all things metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, We post it, of course, every week on iTunes. You make sure you subscribe to the damn podcast, all right? Uh, Go to iTunes, search (laughs) Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, You can find it. You leave a couple of stars, tell us we suck. Uh, review it, tell your friends about it, whatever. You can also find us, of course, on Stitcher and many of the other podcasting applications that whatever you have on your phone, I'm sure you can find it. Just search Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, you can also uh, find us on MetalSucks.net every Monday. That's when we post every this Monday. damn podcast. So, uh, except next Monday, every Monday. That's right, except for next Monday, because <laughs> I'm going to be in the happiest place on Earth, God damn it, whether it kills me or not. It might actually kill me. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but this week's podcast brought to you by Creative Live. Uh, Want to learn how to record music? Check out your friends. At, there are friends at Creative Live. They've got classes on engineering, mixing, mastering. Taught by artists like Between the Bear and Me, Converge, Periphery, Dillinger, Escape Plan. Head over head over to creativelive.com slash audio to uh, learn more and watch some free previews, if you will. Indeed. The free previews, by the way, are awesome. I spent, with, you know, I was but they're know, only, talking earlier. But they're only like... I, they only tease though. Like, like, like I mean, they, no. they, they give you a lot of stuff, but then it makes you. It just makes you want more. It really yes. does. Yeah, like, it makes the, you want more. That's definitely true. Definitely true. But I spent. I I watched like six of them or something this week. I was like so like just digging in. I was like I spent way too much time this week like learning about stuff that I have that, that I'll never end up doing. But I spent a boatload of time too, like going through like all the photography and entrepreneur classes, all the non-music stuff that they got there too. And it's like a whole bullet. First of all, I was like immediately start going. Christmas is going to be so much easier this year. And Wait, uh, why? 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 Because I was like, take I got of stuff or what? No, because I don't. But I know people who do. Oh, and I was okay. like, oh, cool. You know, I'm going to hook them up. You know, and and they got like a sale going on. I think it just lasts a few more days. It's almost over. Where you get like twenty percent off on a whole boatload of the classes. Oh, that's summer sale. So so yeah, I, I might have to do some shopping before like everybody else starts thinking about christmas good times well, hey, in this episode man we are going to go down the uh, rabbit hole with uh, godless and his new best friend dino Cazares from uh from fear factory um i love fear factory i think i checked out about 30 minutes in because you were just going to you were just going to town you you, yeah, you, you tell you you relive the There's 90s a- bro there are so you know there are there, there are bands that I dig. There are bands that I obviously love, but then there are bands that I've like loved forever. And the, the most awkward thing about it was that I didn't realize it, but until like maybe halfway through the interview. But I think Dino thought that I w- was pulling his leg the whole time. I'm I like, think he thought we were punking him. I mean, honestly, yes. I really did. I think he thought we were totally blowing smoke up his ass and like not not actually because. Because I know that Metal Sucks gives him a lot of shit, whether it's about eating babies or whatever. So I, I think he totally thought we were just blowing smoke up his ass or something. Like it was, it was kind of funny. 
Yeah, it's almost like when we post the Metal Sucks podcast, sometimes it's like we need to like put a couple more spaces <laughs> between Metal Sucks and podcasts <laughs> because, man, sometimes... Chuck and know, Godless, wait. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Vince and Axel, uh, love you guys, but... Uh, we, we all have different opinions. Indeed, actually, and uh, yeah, there's quite a few, uh, to say the least. And um, Dino... <laughs> I think he he came around to sort of figure out that, but it took him you know a little while to understand it. I think, but uh, yes, yeah, so we got that interview coming up. We're going to play one off the new Genexus record as well as a brand new song from Amorphous in this episode, which is so good. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, and songs are good, dude. I mean, like, oh yeah. I mean, I it, I don't freak out about like new new music like as soon as i hear it but as soon as i heard that song i'm like oh my god i gotta play this on my radio show and like bam it was in and on so yeah it's a it's great new song we're gonna play that in this episode as well so that's coming up for you and uh what else oh oh, we're gonna take a speak pipe call if you want to if you want to leave us a message uh at the bottom of this post and every post you can uh, check out a little thing called speak pipe and you can leave us a message with anything you want to ask us or a topic starter or whatever i mean you can tell us how we suck that's that that'd be kind of funny uh whatever you can do it at the bottom on on the speak pipe thing and ty one of our classic first people that, that that did left us a message and loves to leave us messages left us another one and i think we're gonna we're gonna go with one of his this week Hi guys, it's Ty from into BehindTheFit.blogspot.com again. Uh, saw the lineup for Maryland Deathfest and it looks really kick-ass. Uh, testaments on the bill, and they seem to me like the band with the the most widespread appeal. I guess you can say. I don't want to say they're mainstream or anything. Uh, do you think that by having such a big band on the bill, it will open up opportunities for say? Uh, Lamb of God or Slayer or, or Anthrax or someone of that caliber to eventually be on the bill. Uh, will that have any other implications? Uh, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Interesting thought there. First off, we still need to get Ty a better mic, uh, so we might want, we might want to like crowdfund fund him some kind of. I think he still has one of those microphones there, the Microsoft stick mics that you plug in or something. We got we got like to work it out for him. Question because it made me go. Okay, so what if the headliners for Maryland Death Fest this year were Slayer and King Diamond? Yeah, I know exactly, <laughs> and because we're watching we're watching a festival fail in front of our eyes this summer just like completely implode on itself and then we think that that's the going to be the the win for a static festival i don't know so much you know honestly we're looking at the maryland death fest lineup the testament thing sticks out like a sore thumb uh you know venom makes some sense uh nuclear assault makes some sense uh, but the testament thing really seems odd to me that they're that they're on that bill. And I why gra- wouldn't why would nuclear assault make sense, but testament wouldn't to you? Well, because nuclear assault to me never had the success that testament had. That's true. Testament also did spend some time exploring death metal in a way. <laughs> true. While nuclear assault never did. Yeah. Although although. Um, uh, Danny's got uh, brutal truth in his pocket, but I think more when when I think of Maryland Death Fest, and granted I've never been so, and I but I talked to a lot of friends that are that are hardcore. This is the only festival that they go to if they don't go to Wacken or whatever. You know what I mean? So the, this is like the thing that they do, and seeing somebody like Testament on the bill just looks weird. That that it's somebody who is still that but I want. They are mainstream. I mean, they're they're mainstream metal. They're 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 one of those bands they're one of the four you know they're they're one of the big bands 
and you don't see that on the on this festival that often and i think that's actually could be a detractor more than anything else you do i do i really think that 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 because because the other thing is you start to draw a certain kind of fan and the kind of fans that love this festival are very specific and you know of very certain they go for a reason is because it's a lot of underground bands and it's a lot of bands that 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 don't play very often or it's a lot of bands that you may or may not get to see like all the time it's kind of the i i liken it to the difference between uh here in austin texas it's a difference between fun 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 fest and the difference between acl live uh, or acl fest and acl fest is like Lollapalooza, where they've got fucking the jane's addiction and the biggest bands ever that are playing all all in two weekends right and fun 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 brought king diamond they're bringing venom they're bringing uh, bands like that and then some mixture of weird stuff too so i mean you might be able to see some bigger bands at some point on on there but you also you just don't want that you want the weird shit you want to go whoa i'm watching refused right now what the fuck you know that's that's the kind of shit you want at at maryland death fest you want something that's really special and unique and testament is not unique I mean, you could see that you see them six months earlier when they toured or, you know what I mean? It's in. And if you did get somebody like Slayer or Lamb of God in there, it's the same fucking thing. You know, I think it is interesting how Maryland Death Fest has built a brand that's based on, you know, cool, obscure, unique, pretty, you know, uh, awesome, but trying to stick to death metal and roots of death metal and death metal offshoots. And then they've tried to inject something else in there and i don't know if like i said testament's experimentations with death metal really qualifies them as being a band you should include in that that being said i think that there's a segment of the maryland death fest audience that yeah they they show up every year because you know they want to hear inquisition doing mind Kampf. you know what i mean but then you've got the rest of uh of the audience that are there because it's metal you know and and those people i think will want to see testament but i think that's an interesting point the idea that perhaps it's uh two steps back to make, take one step forward when you include a band like testament now, great, I'm no, no disrespect to testament i mean damn i'd go see them oh, every no day no of the week. exactly yeah the, the, and that's what that's that's not my point at all it, right, it, it has right. nothing to do with the the quality of testament it, it's a matter of uh, how it fits within that brand and i mean i think we're seeing the same thing with mayhem fest and and how they're suffering right now because their brands are so fucking mixed mixed up with the main stage versus the the second stage like it's a really mixed up festival that just doesn't feel right you know when you got the when you got the old gray fat and bald guys that are on that are on stage main stage with trying to trump it up a little bit with the younger dudes that are in devil wears prada you know it's it's it doesn't work and then you get the really the white chapels like the up-and-comers people that are almost on the verge of you know, headlining, you know, or being on that main stage, it feels really weird, you know, and I think that that if you damage the brand of something like Maryland Death Fest by bringing in somebody like a big band, that would be devastating. Yeah, I think it's too bad that that Mayhem Fest felt that they needed to fill venues of a certain size. And perhaps this would have been good timing to just scale back a little bit and then go with a lineup that 
people would still love and mm. the bands would be still excited to be the headliners yeah. but you know they're 25% 30% smaller venues and and sell those out that's always the most important thing yeah. you can you know selling out CBGB's is a hell of a lot better than only packing half of Madison Square Garden totally it's just the way it is you know it's going to be a better yeah, show for the listener it's going to be a better show for the band it's going to be more confidence it's going to be there so many different things it yeah, it keeps the people excited and it you know you're shutting people out and there's nothing better nothing better in the world than telling people no you can't yeah because next year they come around and then yep. they they buy earlier they pay more it's the Vak- know- it's the vodka fest i mean it, it, which is a great example you know people yeah. bought the tickets for vodka the day they showed up to this year's festival you know like it was and, it was they, sold they, out before they don't it, even care who's playing it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter it, it, exactly it doesn't matter and, that, and that's kind of my point with the maryland death fest is is that it's a sort of it's sort of the same thing with maryland death fest because the people that go every year go every year and they're gonna go every year and the problem is that if you start to change that formula with what people expect and what they love and what they want out of it and add things that are more mainstream i think you're gonna you're gonna piss off your base you know you don't want to you don't you don't want to piss off the right wing and evangelicals you know you want to get those people on your side if you are running for the republican party you want you want to make sure <laughs> that you solidify that and you hate people coming across the border you need to solidify that and i think that's the, i think that's the the problem they run into is that if they brought more mainstream people in that brings those mainstream crowds in as well. And that's what would damage the people more than the bands, you know, cause I guarantee you somebody who loves jungle rot or somebody who loves uh, putrid pile would sit there for a Testament show and probably jam the fuck out of it, you know, and have no problem with it. That's not what matters. It's the dude in the disturbed shirt in the front of fucking Testament that would really <laughs> piss them off. That's how you, that's how you fuck that up is not the bands. It's the people. Yeah. And, yeah. and and Mayhem Fest and the, and the problem with Mayhem Fest is that that's what's confusing is that is that the people don't know what to do like they don't know like they don't know because the young kids don't give a fuck about Slayer who played two months earlier you know when when Carrie King is talking about the show that they did at one venue six months ago <laughs> to compare to what they're doing now and not being able to sell it out with Mayhem Fest maybe it's because he played six fucking months ago. Yeah, that's it's not the fa- it's not Mayhem Fest fault that people are not going to pay to see you every time you come around when you're coming around, you know, every every few weeks. Exactly. I mean, we're talking about weeks here. And so I think that yes, he's made a good point, you know, I think that Suicidal Exodus Slayer is a r- awesome lineup and what a fantastic show it was. Uh great way to do it, but once a year, you know, I think tops. Yeah. I think that I think that you know you can't. I think this was uh, the one mistake that that uh, um, uh, Lyman made was thinking that people would pay to see Slayer again. I mean, even when 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 Slayer played Fun 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 Fest two years in a row, yeah, people were like, oh, yeah, uh, that was it, that it was a tough lost sell. something special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it lost something special on the second year. As well, especially because there wasn't the whole dancing debacle the second year. You know, it was a, <laughs> the, the first the first year they had that whole thing to bounce off of. Yeah. I don't know who else you could really go with. That's a, you know, it's sort of an interesting question. Obviously, you know, like who is on the level of a, of a Slayer? You know, I don't think King Diamond is. Although when when he played Fun 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 Fest, that place was packed. There yeah. were thousands of people there to see him. Uh, so I, I was surprised. I didn't I didn't realize that. But 
uh, yeah, I don't know. Slayer, uh, you know, I don't know who else there is. You know, you sort of just go through the list of the big four and you're kind of, that's it. But I'll tell you what, a CN video of Kerry King playing a Merciful Fate song with King Diamond, that looked exciting. That yeah. looked fun. And to me, it's sort of like, well, you know what? Why, why don't you get Teenage Time Killers, you know? Or why don't you get like, um, you know, a mashup of two bands or or a band doing an album, you know, some f- album that, that people love in its entirety. You know, something like that is a way to build excitement that is a little bit outside the box yeah. instead of just, uh, well, it's that band that... Well, and it's funny because, you know, we sort of see that on like the 70,000 tons of metal crews, right? You know, and it, and it was interesting now that we've gone two years in a row to see where, um, to see people's thoughts on how that works and what they like and they dislike about things. And if you change their paradigm at all, they, everything sucks. And I think that's almost exactly what we're talking about is that, is that you know if if it's not what you think it is then then suddenly especially in the, the internet troll world because now you can bitch about everything anywhere so yeah. if i think if you were to change the core essence of what Maryland Death Fest is by adding somebody huge on top of it if you stuck Lamb of God on top of it the outrage would be enough that it would piss off a, per, a pretty large percentage of the people that would love to go and and not because of the bands that are there but because because of the people that would that would come with that you know they they they're oh, it's just turning into another fucking Ozfest or whatever you know it's like next yeah. thing you know it's going to be scene bands playing or whatever you know Miss May I will be on the fucking Maryland Death Fest oh, we can you know and it'll turn into something completely terrible so you I, know what but but if you get Miss May I performing uh butchered at birth in its entirety <laughs> you know what people will be like well all right i'll check that out you know what i mean well but i also <laughs> think that there's you know there there are just like this is hardcore was uh, i think this past weekend you know there there's a place for that right you know the, and i think that those crowds even though it may be sort of segregated that it's not that's not the worst thing in the world you know, and there there's a lot of crossover in that. But then the, that way, the people that don't want to cross over, the the purists, the Heshers, those people, the guy, the people that just don't that can't take it, they don't have to deal with it. You know, it's like so that way you can kind of cater per. And as long as you're making money, fuck it. You know, it's good, right? You know, I mean, it's as long as Maryland Deathfest can do it again next year and they're making money and pay the bands, life is good. You know, I'm it's all it's worthwhile. This is hardcore can do what they do. Uh, Lollapalooza can do what they do. You know what I mean? Like everybody has yep. a, their own piece of the pie. And I think the static festival thing is totally going to be the, the way of the way of the future, you know, going forward now. Yeah. And I think this whole this year's Mayhem Fest was kind of proof positive that the touring fest may be at its end maybe i you know i was just thinking about like the one show that drew more than any other show on seventy thousand tons of metal it drew so many people i was half worried the cruise ship might tip over was that like all-star jam session that uh uh, jeff waters produced with the you know nurgle and and uh uh, max cavalera singing together you know stuff like that it was like and they're doing old black sabbath tunes and metallica tunes and but you can't do i just don't think you can do that on tour though i don't think anybody would want to do that every night i think that's i think having a one-off show like that is special and i think that's a great thing because then it also is doing what you're talking about about driving that desire because it's a one time you can only see yeah. it here you got to be here to see this and that makes it special 
And, and don't you think if if Slayer had had said we're doing haunting haunting the chapel <laughs> from front to end, you know, on this tour, people would go, okay, I'll I, I got to st- check that out. Even if you don't like, you've never even listened to haunting the chapel, at least it injects some sort of excitement into Mayhem Fest. And I think that yeah, maybe, uh, but uh, by but, just say, mm. having Slayer, it's like and. You know, they're going to play the same tunes they did a few months ago. And yeah. it's great. It's, um, I it's swear Slayer. to God, it it's sounds better than any. Yeah, but it's Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. And and it's it's hard to believe that that metal people are getting tired of Slayer, right? It's 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 almost it's almost sacrilegious. Like, it's, it's like you, you can't say that, right? But it, yeah. I think that when you're when you overexpose yourself, that's what happens. You know, I think it Megadeth, me, Megadeth did the me same so thing. scared has me so scared for that new slayer album if people are fatigued yeah. now they haven't even started the the, the cycle the, the cycle for that album yeah. and i mean unless there's uh you know this album is filled with a boatload of uh south of heavens and rain and bloods uh, uh or raining bloods there's just not it's it's and well, it won't and it's fun, know, and, it, it, and it's funny because like I, I just popped into my head is that the same thing happened with megadeth um, yeah. The, like exactly because remember when Megadeth came and played with Iron Maiden, they opened up for Iron Maiden, and then they played yep. like four months later uh, with Fear Factory opening up for them. And, That's right. And nobody fucking showed up. Yeah. You know, it was like vacant. And remember, because like Burton was all pissed off at the crowd and shit. You know, because people I weren't could, I, people I weren't singing along. Wasn't that that oh, show? No, you weren't was at so the show. Yeah. But basically, so Burton was like pissed off because the people hadn't showed and nobody was getting in, getting into them. And it was, and, but Megadeth just didn't do the draw. And basically it's because they, and they had sold that venue out before, but it's but because they were much just excite- there. Look how much excitement is now happening about Megadeth. Even though Super Collider was Super Collider, uh, you know, was Super yeah. Collider. People are really excited about Megadeth again right now. And it's one reason. It's because they got Adler on drums. Yeah. That's the only reason. Yeah, True. True, and true, I, true. you know, it's just you just need to find that one element that Someone's will gonna, get people yeah. curious. But I think you have to be real careful. You know, you've got to be very careful to to make it so it's not gimmicky and it doesn't piss off the people that are your core. You know, whatever that is. You know, and yeah. and, and and I'm talking from like a big brand, like a Maryland Death Fest Mayhem perspective. You know, more than anything else. You know, like if if you're talking like Mayhem was doing something special like that, like a it was Slayer on every Mayhem Fest was playing a different record from their from from their uh, catalog. Like right, every, you have no idea which which album yeah. is going to be. We're on not going to say ahead yeah. of time. It's going to be you show up and it's going to be a different record played front to back, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, the, that the, would the, fucking the, get people going. The, oh shit! The, curtain, the curtain will drop, and the backdrop is going to tell you which album yeah. it is. You know, something like that. That's exciting. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. like freaking awesome. As yeah. long as you still play, you know, the, the you ones play you got to play blood. at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you got you to have like four or five that, that are that are staples, no matter what. But, yeah, yeah, but but yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's just creating something that's not gimmicky, but it but it will drive interest and get people talking about it. And it's just not happening with mayhem. That that one thing with King Diamond was the only thing so far. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah. otherwise it's been bad press. You know, so yep. I don't know. Yeah. Let's get some good press with Dino, man. <laughs> oh, I love Fear Factory. That D manufacturer, everything's got me excited. About. I can I can Fear hear Factory. the smile in your face throughout this entire interview. Uh, Dino Cazares on the Metal Sucks podcast. Due to the graphic nature of this program, listener discretion is advised. 
Tito! What's up, dude? How you doing? Good, man. Good. Great to talk to you, dude. Oh, Who so am I speaking to? to? This is Chuck and Godless from the Metal Sucks Podcast. Oh, okay. Good. Nice to meet you, too. Awesome. Awesome. Dino. Dino, you, you realize, like, like back in, I think it was, like, 92, I interviewed Burton when you guys were doing Fears the Mind Killer, and you were changing metal. You guys were changing metal, and us dumbasses on the other end of the phone didn't realize it yet. You know what I mean? Did you guys know what you were doing? Um, to some extent, we did, but technically, we were just doing what we liked. You know, we knew that you know that there was going to be a lot of people at the time who didn't like it. You know, for instance, uh, when we did Soul of the New Machine, the label didn't really know how to how to you know put us out there, so they lumped us in with all the death metal bands, even though we weren't really death metal. We just had those tones, you know what I mean? So. They put us in with those death metal bands, and all of a sudden, you know, all the death metal fans who bought the record heard the clean vocals, and they were, like, they were completely turned off. They didn't like it. They hated it. And then we were like, all of a sudden, we did, you know, Fears the Mind Killer did industrial dance techno remixes with death metal overtones and the grindcore, you know, mixed in with melodic vocals. They hated it even more. <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was such an awesome move you guys like doubled down it was like you know what we're doing what we do and and it's not like we're gonna cater to to what you guys expect or or what's cool or whatever well to us it was cool because when we did our first um tour in 1992 in europe you know we discovered we discovered a whole new world out in europe of you know a, a lot of you know um techno bands that we actually fell in love with. I mean, we were inspired by, you know, some early electronic, you know, you can call it slash techno type music. But when we got to Europe, we discovered all of it like, wow. And then the minute we got back, we're like, fuck, we got to do some fucking cool remixes. That would be. And back then in Europe, they had actually metal clubs where you can walk into a club and dance to metal music. So we figured, Hey man, let's fucking make some remixes that they can play at these metal clubs that people can actually really dance to. You know, that's kind of like what we did. We just did that. And then it just, in Europe, that record, that EP took off more than it did in the States. Well, do you think it was a matter of like just hammering away at the people here in the United States until they're like, you're going to like this or else. <laughs> um, you know, we just did it because we liked it. I mean, yeah. we knew that some, we knew that a lot of people didn't like it. And it wasn't for everybody. We really just didn't think about that. We just did it because we liked it. Yeah. Well, it was like the yeah. industrial mode thing was happening, and there were some great bands that were trying things. There was a band called Soulstorm, Malhavik, Trep and M Pal, Pal from France mm -hmm. were do was doing some really great stuff. And then you guys come along, and it was, I mean, Burton's doing the the deep vocals, but it was like that 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 awesome freaking guitar with the the bass drum, and it was just clean and solid and. I mean, nobody else was doing it like the way that you guys did it. And you did it great yeah. out of the gate. Thanks. Well, the first record, Soul of a New Machine, it was like, you know, we the band had been together for almost two years, and it was just a melting pot of influences that we all put together. You know, I mean, everything from, you know, Bert was really big into the early industrial stuff, Godflesh, Ministry, Nine Inch Nails, Kraftwerk, stuff like that. Uh, yeah. Robin Griffel. You know, I came from 
you know, Napalm Death, Carcass, you know, uh, Slayer, you know, all that. I was more the, the, the brutal metal guy. And then we we met in between because of Godflesh. We both liked Godflesh. And that was where we made a connection. I turned him on to types of music. He turned me on to any, and other types of music. And then we would go to concerts together. I would take him to all the fucking you know, the Grind Crusher fucking tour concerts with Napalm Death and all that stuff. And he would take me to other stuff like to go see bands like Head of David and Fetus, uh, you know, KMFDM, you know, and it just exposed me to a whole new thing. And it was like, wow. And it was just like, so when we made the band, we were like, it was just a melting pot of influences. And Bert also was into like this whole sub-pop thing, like this whole Seattle sub pop early 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 grunge before it became popular early grunge I, I discovered you know helmet you know we discovered all that stuff and it was just like in the late 80s early 90s there was so much good music coming out and we were just became a fan of all of it and being and living in hollywood we had the opportunity to go to every concert every every concert of different type of music you could think of we would go and we would just take all those influences and throw it into Fear Factory, and boom, Soul of a New Machine came out. Well, and actually, you know, that was such a great time with so many different things that, because, I mean, everybody thinks back to, like, 92, 93, and they think grunge. For some reason, that's all they remember. But there was a lot of really, like you said, a lot of really interesting things that were sort of happening at that time. Things were kind of lost after that, because it seemed like grunge took the wind out of a lot of uh, death metal and took a, the wind out of a lot of things, and then you were able to kind of capitalize on that. Yeah, you guys in Pantera. Yeah, well, you know, Pantera tar- started out as a glam band. It was <laughs> we never started out as a glam band. Are you sure? There's no <laughs> pictures of you with like some uh, hair out there that's all teased up or anything. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, hey man, I-, I had that when I was a teenager. Yeah, when I was, <laughs> yeah. A kid. When I was you know, like you know, fourteen, fifteen years old. Hell yeah, who didn't like Def Leppard and? Motley Crue and Quiet Riot when you were that age. I mean, if, I mean, hell yeah. You know, by the time I moved to L.A., that was a whole new ball game. When I heard when you were getting into all the bands, like, you know, for me, it was, for me, my favorite band for a long time was DRI. And that was like yeah. 1984. You know what I mean? I was like, glam. I mean, I, mean I, I don't get me wrong. I respect some hair metal bands, of course, Rat and Dawkins. But, you know, there was that. Jet Boy. Brutal, brutal side to me that Jeff Boy. I never liked Jeff Boy. Um, <laughs> but, but a respect. There was that brutal. There was that 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 feeling that you. When I heard the first Exodus record, you know Slayer, Rain and Blood. You know, of course, all the early Metallica's 1981 when their albums came out. You know, all that stuff. When I heard when I heard the first Death demo, I, I, I couldn't go back. The minute I heard all that stuff, I couldn't go back. And that was it. That was in me, and I loved it. You know what I mean? But, yeah, the 90s was a great time in L.A. The, I would say in between 84, the first time I seen the, the uh, it was Slayer, Exodus, Venom tour. You know, ever since then, I've been going to every thrash and metal show uh, from 1984 till about 19, till about 2000. It was a great era of just music just things were changing and everybody was going different directions and different styles were coming in um i remember one time me and bert went to go see helmet we're like oh my god it was on their first album it was called 
strap it on. They were yeah. fucking just, there was no melodic, nothing, just brutal, just heavy, grunt, just dirgy, just killer. It just grew everywhere. And we're like, wow. The next, that night, we had a song called Scapegoat. We wrote a song called Scapegoat oh. in 1990. 1990. It's a great we song. Scapegoat, which later on influenced Corn to write Blind. So, so what happened in 2000 to make you give? Why is that your cutoff here? Um, because we didn't think that there was any, well, for me personally, there was nothing at this, at that point that was really changing in music. There was nothing that was really like, you know, because like, for instance, you know, of course you had the hair metal movement that was massive. You had the speed metal movement that was massive, thrash metal, whatever you want to call it, that was massive. It was changing music. Then all of a sudden, and in in, all of a sudden, the grunge movement just changed everything, mm-hmm. killed everything else. And changed, you know, it changed it. Then all of a sudden, in the mid '90s, the whole uh, new metal movement came on. Boom! That changed everything. Now in 2000, I mean, everybody's just shredding in their bedrooms. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, we, Chuck and I were j- just talking recently, and I was like, "Oh, but dude, the, the he's not into the shoegaze black metal thing." But I think that stuff is awesome because I I love the way that they're trying to take two very very completely different genres mesh them together and try to come up with something new out of it It, it, that to me is exciting and and unique and especially in a time where there's very very little of that sort of uh genre smashing going on correct i agree with you on that i totally agree with you on that that's why to me there hasn't really been anything that's like changing music the way that grunge did the way that hair metal did the way that you know, even when hair metal came out, even Judas Priest went glam. Even Ozzy went glam. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was changing. Yeah, Dude, remember Celtic changing. Frost with Cherry Orchards, man? Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> to me, those are those are big periods of time where it was genre changing music. You know, it changed everything. You know, there hasn't been anything in two in the year from two thousand up that's really changed anything. What do you think that? Why do you think that is? Do you think that's a, a a matter of just the people that are out there doing it aren't exposed to as much, or because I mean it seems like we're exposed to even more, even though they're in people are in their bedroom making music. It, it just seems like there's so much more input coming from the internet and everything. But where does it go? It could be it could be watered down. I don't know. You know, I I don't know exactly what the answer is to that question. But to me, you know, I, I don't really get influenced by bands you know, that much, any new bands that much anymore. You know, it's usually just all the old school stuff that me and Bert loved that we like, you know what I mean? So Dino, when, when, all right, so two questions, all right, real quick. So we, we talked to Dennis from Refused a couple weeks ago and he was talking about how he feels like every band needs an album or two before they find out who they are. And as soon as he said that, I thought of, you guys because to me from the very first note of the first song on the first album you guys knew exactly who you were there wasn't any time of building or anything like that it was like it it was fear factory and it's always been fear factory it's and it's been awesome why is it that you guys had that right from the get-go when when other bands seem like they need more time to develop um, okay. I think that Soul in a Machine was, uh, it had too many songs on it. There's 17 songs on that record. <laughs> There's 17 songs. 
It's a lot of songs. That's a double album yeah. to a lot of people. You know what I mean? I think we put too many songs on the record, you know, and it was probably because every song kind of jumped to all different genres of music that we liked, you know, from grindcore to some death metal influence to uh, obviously the industrial influence, and then you have the melodic influence. So if we would have narrowed, like, the 10 best songs, maybe the album would have been a little bit more focused. We didn't learn that till demanufacture. Hmm. Like, okay, you got to, you know, people's focuses, people, people, you know, has a short attention span. You got to give them 10 great songs instead of throwing every song you have on the record. But the missing link between Soul and the Machine and Demanufacture was Fear is the Mind Killer. That was when we discovered, okay, the more electronic elements that we bring into Fear Factory, the, the more broader our music could go, the more elements, the more things that people could have to listen to, the more ear candy, I guess you would say. Mm. So when we did, when we did Demanufacture, we were focused we discovered who we are kind of in the studio because, you know, when we were doing Solving the Machine, it was just four dudes going in there and jamming and recording it live and whatever comes out. We were just so happy to make a record. We were just happy, right? Whereas, like, the manufacturer, okay, there's actual budgets, and, uh, you know, this microphone does this, this does that. Okay, you know, we learned. We learned as you go along. And so, the manufacturer, we, we honed in on our craft and we focused on what were the best songs, and then that's what we, we focused on. We, we really only wrote 10 songs for the album, and that was it. Did you There's see couple, the change in, in metal that was coming? Did I see the I'm, change in metal that was coming? Yeah, what the, do you mean? because Before it seems it, like... It, when we talked to, to Bill Steer uh, about a year and a half ago, he was like... You know, there was at that point carcass are on the road, and he said it was like the air left the room. And he said it was like you're you either were fear factory or you just nobody was paying attention to you. And it was like you knew where the where the rest of that decade was going to go as far as metal was concerned, and nobody else seemed to see it. He actually said fear factory. Yes. Wow, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know we impacted. I mean, I know we impacted some people, but I didn't know that we made that big of an impact. You know what I mean? He he he, he he's like, man, I love Fear Factory, but that was not where Carcass could go. Yeah. Okay, that's that's cool. I mean, I love Carcass. <laughs> but, but nobody in this room doesn't like Carcass. So, <laughs> but yeah, but I had to do my own thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. can like, I can like take an influence. I mean, I don't even know. If, I don't would even really call them an influence. I would be like. Just maybe an influence, maybe of guitar tone, or you know how to how to phrase a certain solo or something like that. You know what I mean? But not necessarily their style. You know what I mean? So yep. You know, so I, I can't. You know, we we were influenced by everything. I mean, we were influenced by like I mean, I'm telling you, we we were earache fans back in the early '90s. I mean, anything that was fucking grindcore. I mean, that's. Me and Raymond were like that. We were into all that stuff. And, and I worked at a record store. Raymond worked at a record store. So we got everything right when it first came in. Like, fuck, yeah. you got to hear this band. Fuck, you got to hear this band. Wow, you got to hear this band. And we were just like, you know, young kids growing up in L.A. just excited about music. Extremely excited. I mean, you know, it's like the first time, <laughs> the first time you jack off to your first porno magazine. I mean, that's, <laughs> how, that's how we were. You know, that's how we were. It's the best way to describe it. 
And um, uh, so, you know, I remember, we didn't I know. The day. <laughs> we didn't know that. We didn't know that we changed music uh, in the metal scene like that. We didn't realize that. Not at all. Well, it's also sort of being, uh, you know, be, having an audience that's ready for something different or ready for something that's not. And I and I think the audience in 1995 was primed for demanufacture. You know, like it was it was time for something else to kind of come down the pipe. You know, even though there was a lot of a lot of death metal that and stuff that had come before uh, early in the 90s, it was like that was it was time for a change and and Fear Factor was kind of the harbinger of that change. Well, well the the, the main thing that we noticed like, you know, with a lot of bands that came out that 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 genre and that era of death metal and grindcore and whatever else you want to call it, um that you know, a lot of these guys, they didn't put melody in their songs. Mm. They didn't, um, they didn't, you know, the structures were all over the place. You know, everything was based around a cool riff, you know what I mean? Instead of a, instead of a killer vocal hook. And, you know, Bert and I were always influenced by that kind of, um, you know, melodic driven music. And so we, you know, put that in the first record, sold in the machine. But when we did demanufacture, we were like, okay, Let's trim all that extra fat and all those extra riffs. We don't need ten riffs to make a great song. You know, we we did three or four riffs, but we just introduced them differently on the drums. You know what I mean? Um, we added we added structure to our songs, structures that were interesting and not typical, but but cool enough to almost be just if you like, for instance, song like replica. If you took replica and you know, put it to a radio song, it's the same structure that ev- that every radio producer uses, you know, verse, uh, intro, verse, chorus, midsection, intro, verse, chorus, you know, double chorus, and then outro, and then boom, you're done with the song. Mm-hmm. Every every radio producer does that. We, we discovered that early on, but let's just make it heavy and have a radio structure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was like, you know, what we did. We weren't trying to be on the radio. We were just like, well, how do we shorten the song to three and a half minutes, but make, but get to the point, make it interesting and have a fucking sick hook. And that's what we do with Replica. And you, then you get a hook that people can sing and boom, next thing you know, obsolete winds up on the radio, you know, <laughs> like you pretty huge too. Yeah. And that's kind of like what, what, what we were at. That's kind of like what we were into. And, you know, but that's not, you know, taking away our metal cred, you know what I mean? Because we were still, brutal and we were still heavy we just liked writing great structured songs with hooks on it whether it's a whether it's just a guitar hook or even songs like demanufacture where the intro is a fucking drum hook mm-hmm. you know yep. it's a kick drum hook who the fuck starts your album with a fucking <laughs> kick drum you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like what the fuck is that you know it's interesting to me the way that like like a great song structure is a is a part of great songs no matter what genre we're talking about. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, matter. It just oh, it's always been that way, and I think that it should be something that's celebrated. I don't understand well, why there listen, would be any resistance to that. Yeah, well, listen, if you like now there's resistance. I don't know why, but if you go way back, if you go back to the you know seventies and the eighties. Bands like Judas Priest, they had great hooks. Come on, heading out to the highway. Those are hooks. Those are yeah. Oh, yeah. fucking, those are pop metal songs. I mean, I hate to, I hate to use the word pop, but we're only using Why? it as a reference. 
Well, I, we're only using it as a reference to structure. All right. Structure mm. metal songs with hooks on it. And it has a guitar hook, has a great fucking melodic hook. I mean, all those early songs, you know, before there was hair metal, all those early stuff, you know, was hooks. I mean, Iron Maiden had hooks for days. Mm-hmm. You know, they had mm-hmm. melodic vocals for days, hooks for days. And, you know, well, Iron Maiden also has stuff. songs that last days long, but that's all right. <laughs> I know. 11 minutes long. <laughs> the only 11-minute hey, pop song ever. <laughs> Other well, than you know what I'm talking about. Like, yeah. you know, come on, Run to the Hills. Come on, bro. Yeah. Number of the Beast. Those are fucking hooks. Can I play Those with madness? Hooks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can I play with madness? Yeah, all that shit. That stuff, that stuff was, you know, stuff that we were influenced by as well. You know, mm. when we listen, when I listen to a song, I don't just, li- I, I enjoy it for what it is, but, you know, after I enjoy it for what it is, sometimes I break it down. Okay, how did they yeah. do that? Why do they change here? Why do they do that? You know, I was doing that as a teenager when I was a kid, trying to learn how to write songs. Why do they do this? How do they do that? And then, you, and then you kind of figure out the combination. And then once you figure out the combination, you apply it to your music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you realize it's a pattern, it's it's, it's like oh. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I was talking yeah. to a friend a few years ago. He was talking about how like he felt like hooks were getting to the point where you could just have a sound and that's all that's necessary. And that sound may last just a moment, but as long as you repeat it enough times, that's a perfect example. Perfect example. The sugar. Yeah. We were just a, a fan of all that. We discovered it early. We wrote writing songs like that. I mean, for instance, I'll, I'll go back to Scapegoat again. You go to Scapegoat. Scapegoat is a pop structured. There's really two riffs in the whole song. Yeah. There's two riffs. But you don't notice that there's two riffs because it's each. We do different variations of the same riff, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the beautiful melodic vocals on there. And it just was. It was, a, it was amazing. And we were like. But Bert's off, he's singing, you know, brutal, you know, grindcore growls that like, fuck, this is a badass song, you know? And you don't realize, like, fuck, it's just a simple song. When when I read about, like, it was reviewing, like, you know, the 90s for you guys, and it was reading about how with the success... Uh, that you guys had with the manufacturer that there was pressure on you guys with Digimortal and Digimortal uh, still to me is like besides uh, uh, um, Soul of a New Machine, which I just love because it's the first thing that I heard was it, it, that's my favorite album. Is there like, I don't know, did, was there something else going on behind the scenes on that album that I, I should be taking into account? <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay, let, let me go back a little bit. After D-Manufacturer, there was, there was always pressure because we did, when we went in to do Obsolete, Obsolete, uh, Obsolete, yeah. Obsolete went to a different place. Obsolete, it was still Fear Factory, but it was a, it was a more organic Fear Factory compared to D-Manufacturer. Um, and Obsolete was a different era. By the time Obsolete came out, it was 1998. At that point, bands like Corn, Limbisk, and all that new metal shit was massive. And we were like, okay, let's bring back the groove. Like, again, I'm going to bring up a reference. I'm, I'm always going to bring this song up as a reference because this was, was the grooviest, one of the grooviest songs that we had on the record of Soul and a Machine called Scapegoat. Now, let's bring Scapegoat back, that vibe of Scapegoat, and add it 
too uh, obsolete. Now, a song like Edge Crusher. Mm-hmm. Big song. Big song, no double bass on the whole song. Single kick, no double bass. Shock was a big, massive hook, you know. And then we had a songs like Descent, no double bass. Actually, there's only like on Obsolete, there's really only about three, three and a half songs that have double bass in it. Everything was single bass. And we were like, wow, we couldn't believe we achieved this great of a record without as much double bass as the manufacturer. Mm, yeah. um, Obsolete really took Fear Factory to the way to the next level, right? Yeah. So the label, so we had a gold record. The label was like, okay, when DJ Mortal came about, you got to write radio songs. And we're like, oh, fuck. They brought in all these radio producers to help, help us during pre-production. They brought, brought in a guy named, I think his name was Bob Marlette. He came in and he was like, okay, you got to play your riff like this and you got to play your riff like that. And then after like 15 minutes, I said, you know what, get out. I said, get out. This is, this is, this is not going to work. Right. Then, um, they brought in a guy named, uh, Ulrich Wild. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's produced a lot of stuff. And he came into the studio and he like, listens, listened to our songs. He's like, what do you need me for? These songs are great. We're like, okay, great. Thanks. Cool. See you later. <laughs> so we'll take his <laughs> advice. All right. Winner. <laughs> and, yeah. And here I am. No, no, no. Nothing against him. He's amazing. He was like, he was like, dude, you don't need me. You're, this is, this is great already as it is. So I called the label and I'm like, look, look, you know, Bob Marlette sucked. He didn't match. He didn't match with us. Uruk Wild said, there's nothing wrong with these songs. Why do we need to change these songs to fit radio? And they're like, well, we're going to send in another guy. All right. So, they sent in another guy, and we were, you know, uh, a, a guy named um, Malcolm Springer. He came in, and he had a cool idea. He had a bunch of cool ideas. He helped us out with four songs on the record. And, um, you know, I didn't mind. He helped us with uh, trimming some of the fat on some of the songs. Like, like Lynchpin is our biggest song we ever wrote, believe it or not. It's the most downloaded, hmm. most streamed, most viewed on YouTube song that we've ever written. Um, that's a, that's just, uh, I'm surprised because it's the most, one of the most radio friendly songs that we ever did. But he helped us with the structure of that song. Uh, he helped us with like, you know, three other songs or something like that. And I was like, okay, that's enough. You know, it's enough. I can't do a whole album like this. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. So he left and then the rest we took over ourselves. And then we wrote songs like Acres of Skin, you know, all the faster stuff on the record. Um, yeah, I, but yeah, we had a lot of pressure from the label to do a platinum record. That's what they were going for, a platinum record. We never reached gold. It, it sold about uh, 400 and something thousand, never reached gold. So, did you guys share those ambitions at the time? No, no, no. As a matter of fact, I was the one who put my foot down uh, you know, where, which caused a lot of problems with the label. It caused a lot of problems with some of my band members because some of my band members at the time were into it. And I put my foot down. For instance, um, our uh, bass player at the time was really, really, really uh, was playing also in Cypress Hill. So he wanted to bring Be Real in to do a song with us. And I was like, I was trying to, 
I mean, I love everybody, but I was trying to avoid it because I knew it was going to be an issue on the record, and we shouldn't go that direction. I was like, look, we need to write some more heavy songs. And I was, we, we, we definitely had, we definitely didn't see eye to eye on that. Um, I'm, I'm digging out. The, I'm trying to find my Judgment Night soundtrack at the moment. Here. I know I got it here somewhere. <laughs> who, who was it that yeah. you guys did? We did the a song. Cla- okay, listen, we did a song called Back to Fuck Up with B-Rail. It's not a bad song. It just I love that song. Okay. I don't think, for me personally, it deserved to be on the record. I think it should have been a B-side. Like, we, you oh. know, whenever we do something that's... And plus, I thought by 2000, I thought new metal was already dying. So... I was like, no, we don't need this. We can save it as a B-side. But the label, because they fought me on it, the label insisted that it goes on the album and that, and that you know, that that to me was our demise at that, at that time. Yeah, if I wasn't um, the kind of uh, jerk-off who has, like, your Live on the Sunset Strip EP and, you know, the, all the, like, B-sides that you guys have ever put out, I would have been pissed off if you didn't have Back the Fuck Up on the album. <laughs> you, well, you, you know, you, I'm glad. I mean, you don't get me wrong. There are, people, there are people who like it. I'm not, not going to knock them for it. But are you insulting me? <laughs> just because I like your song? No, 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 no. I didn't say I didn't like it. I didn't say I didn't like it. I just, said, I just said I felt that it probably should have been stayed as an extra B-side or a bonus track. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's just my opinion. That's just how I felt. You know? the, the song it, does stick out a little bit, but I, I just loved it. I mean, I guess I always looked at albums as when it's not like a concept album, it just is, it's a collection of songs and, and you guys have got both. Well, the thing about it is, is that, you know, obviously when you're in a band together, everything, you know, you have to, compromise on certain things and that was one of the things that i had to compromise on that i felt that we should have been i felt on this is mortal that we should have went back to like you know a demanufacture vibe that's just me yeah, yeah. that was just how i felt i felt okay this limp biscuit thing is rolling 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 i'm like okay this is gonna die <laughs> soon this is gonna die really soon and we need to go a different direction you know what i mean um but unfortunately, it was, a, it was a battle that I lost, and unfortunately, it was me getting, the result of that was me getting kicked out of the band. So, I mean, did you have to get a job at that point, or did you just do, no. um, you, no. you, just, you, you, you just went off and did Divine Heresy, and, and Breheria, no. you were cool? No, I didn't, I didn't just do, go off and do Divine Heresy. I actually sat in my room for about three months, depressed, Ugh. trying to figure out, what am I going to do? Which I already knew what I was going to do, but it was more of like, it was not necessarily what I was going to do. It was like, I need to get up and, and do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, I need to quit feeling sorry for myself. And, but it was just three months of depression. Like, this was something that I built from the ground up that I just got kicked out of because of many different reasons. You know, one of them being, one of them being the, the Digimortal. Two, me probably being putting my foot down and, and fighting, you know, arguing with guys that they probably didn't like it at the time. Um, and, you know, uh, me led to me and Burton arguing about stuff that didn't even matter. Right. That ultimately got me kicked out. So I was sitting in my room for three months and after three months, I'm like, what am I, what am I doing sitting here? Get the fuck back out there. So I had a, a band called Brujeria and I also had another project band called Asesino. So I toured 
constantly through South America. I got to go to countries that I'd never been to with Fear Factory. I got to go to, like, smaller, you know, cities, you know, uh, smaller towns. I, I, I got in a van and I toured fucking Mexico. People don't do that. Yeah. yeah. But I got in a van and toured all through fucking Mexico. That, that was an amazing experience I've ever experienced in my life. It was amazing. You know, I got to, I got to do numerous shows all through Brazil, um, Chile, Argentina, Colombia. I mean, I mean, everywhere, everywhere you can think of in South America. And I was like, wow, people thought I disappeared. In America, people thought I disappeared. And in a way, I kind of did. I was, because I was touring in all the Latin America and all that stuff and just having a blast. Yeah. And um, then they're like, what's Dino doing now? He's sitting in his, he's probably still sitting in his bedroom fucking crying. You know what I mean? Like, no, I was, I was working. And then I decided, okay, I better do something, I better do something in English. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. I got, okay, I got to get out of South America and I got to do something in English for, you know, Americans. So I did Divine Heresy. Right. And what's the status of Divine Heresy now? Well, at the moment, there is no status because it's just me at the moment. And I'm just uh, doing Fear Factory until I get did time. You, did you and Tim like have a falling out or is it just he wasn't coming back? Or what, what happened with Tim Young? I don't know. Because when I wanted to do Fear Factory again a while ago, he told me that, uh, that Divine Heresy was not a lucrative enough business for him to be involved in. So I took it as like, okay, okay, you know, it, you know, for me, it was like when I started Divine Heresy, I started it with nothing, got in a van, toured America, sold my own merch, moved my own gear, just like everybody else. doesn't matter that I was in a big band called Fear Factory at one point. I was like, I want to get back out there. I want to build this band up big and do it from the ground up. It was actually exciting to me. Yeah. It was like. You know, the thing is, once you love music and you love what you do, you make the best of it. You know, there's a lot of guys who feel that they're entitled to stuff. Tim would, Tim Young would tell me all the time, I've been playing death metal for 10 years. I shouldn't have to move my own fucking drum set. You know, I'm like, <laughs> well, we're not, making the, we're not making the money that we're making. And, you know, it, this, it is what it is. I mean, look at me. I, I'm out here moving my own gear, too. You know, yeah. what makes you any better than me? You know, I was in a van in the trailer, you know, staying at shitty hotels, staying at friends' places, you know, putting up stuff on Facebook. Hey, man, you got a place for the band to crash? You know, we were doing, you know, like every other band does. There's no difference. And so we were out there doing it. I'd, I'd sit at the merch table every day, sell my own merch, and we were actually doing good. Divine Heresy, both records, sold over 46,000 copies. That's a lot of records. Wow. That's a lot of records that bands can't even achieve today. Yeah, nowadays you can't. Like, uh, yeah, it's hard to sell ten, five even half was, the time. You know, it was no joke, and we were coming home with money in our pocket. Tim was making Tim. Everybody else in the band were making a few thousand dollars after each after a month tour. If you you know, people don't even people make you know, fifteen hundred bucks a month, and he you know we were coming home with three four thousand dollars in our pocket for a month tour in a van, hiring no tech, doing it ourselves. I'm like, how can you complain about that? You got yeah, money. Yeah. How could you complain about that? And dudes complained. They cried. They didn't want to move it. They thought because they were in a band with Dino Gazars that we were going to be in a fucking bus eating fucking uh, five-star restaurants, staying at the best hotels, eating fucking, you know, caviar. No. 
But when no, you're surrounded not, by not, people who don't get it, you know, they just don't get it at that time. That's why what, 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 the what keeps of, you that's motivated. That's why the members of Divine Heresy didn't laugh because that's how they felt. That's how they thought. And I wasn't that way. You know, I was like, we got to do it this way. This is how we got to do it. I trust me. I've been there a few times. I don't got a problem with it. It's all yeah. about, you know, mentally how you, if you mentally want to be out there doing it and know what it takes to do it, then that's what you do. But some, like you, like you're right. Some guys just don't know that. They feel a sense of entitlement and, you know, it's, they're not cut out. They're not cut out for this job. You get those two, like two sets of people, either the people that have kind of experienced that, that top end of the, the spectrum where it's like, okay, we had a, we had a gold record. We did this. So now I should expect more, blah, 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 blah. Or people that have this dream of the industry that is something completely different where they're, they're like, oh, there's all this money if we just get signed. It's like, eh, it's a whole different world in 2015 than it is, than it was in 1995, you know? And it's, I, I don't know. It's it's really weird how people can't see that reality because it's right in front of them. Well, some of the members, when we got signed, you know, I hear, you know, we got signed for, you know, a decent amount of money because obviously because of me. We got signed to a de- for a decent, you know, decent contract, decent amount of money. We were able to make a record, you know, for not very much money. I put money in these guys' pockets and they just blew it. <laughs> that I would teach I would tell them to save your money, hold on to it, don't blow it. You know, a month or two later, they're asking for more money. Well, what happened to the fucking. Ten grand I gave you. How did you blow that? In two months. What did you do? And nothing. And so, nothing kicks in that animosity like money. Oh my and god! Got, still, and nothing's got to be more isolating for you than feeling like you're trying to 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 build a ship that everybody can row with, and and nobody problem, else is picking up an oar. The problem is, is I was too much of a daddy figure. And what do you what do what do kids do when they got somebody who acts like their dad? They rebel. And that's that was the demise of some of the members of Fear of I'm sorry, Divine Heresy. Now here I am, a guy with a lot of experience playing with guys who were, you know, fifteen to twenty years younger than me, trying to teach in the ropes. They don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. What are they doing now? What's the legal status with uh, uh, Ray and and Christian with Fear Factor? There is none. There is none. Is it settled? You know, yeah, they they get taken care of, and that's that's it. Okay, cool, cool. And it, but it's like n- no good terms, no Christmas cards, no, or, okay. no. <laughs> it's, so so like when Christian gets in that motorbike accident, do you go to the hospital to either like turn his foot a little bit when he's trying to sleep, or do you go to say I hope you're feeling all right, or do you just skip it all together? <laughs> Are you trying to make a joke of this? Because no, no. <laughs> so you didn't no. re-injure Christian's foot after the motorcycle accident? I'm no. I'm just asking. Oh, okay, okay. I'm just I have nothing to do with that. That has nothing to do. <laughs> Look, it's, well, these guys' personal choices, what they decide to do on their own time, has nothing to do with me. But, I mean, the whole time that you're you're touring, you're doing your own thing, you're away from Fear Factory, for me personally, I'm, like, motivated by spite. You know, that's, that's the thing that keeps me going is trying to prove people wrong. Does that motivate you? Was that part of what drove you at that time? Well, that, you know, ever since we're kids, you know, you want to, you know, motive, you want to shut the people up who are making fun of you or talking shit about you or, you know, trying to 
do some sort of harm to you. I mean, you you know, what happens if you're getting bullied at school? You wish you're like, well, I want to kick that guy's ass, but, uh, yeah. you know, you always want to prove somebody, you know, prove somebody wrong or, or just go out there and do it. For me, it's all about music. I just go out there. I work. I work. And I just go out there and I just do the music that I love to do. I don't, yeah. I try not to get in. Uh, unfortunately, I get thrown into a lot of drama. I don't necessarily ask for it. I don't like, playing with musicians who are going to waste my time, you know what I mean, with their petty bullshit about their girlfriends or about whatever dumb excuses they have, I'm there to work. Don't waste my time. I'm, I want to go places. You know what I mean? I want to do something. I want to make a difference. I want to make a living. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't have my, I think my, I think where people misunderstand me is that I work. I work. I'm a workaholic. I do every. I try to do every, I wake up every day and be like, okay, what am I going to do for Fear Factory today? What am I going to do for Divine Harris today? What am I going to do for Asasina today? You know, whatever band I'm in, when I'm focused on that, what am I going to do today? I wake up and that's what I do. You know what I mean? I I plan out my schedule. I plan out what I got to do. You know, and some people don't live that way. Some people live a little bit more freer than that. And, you know, they don't come to rehearsals on time. They don't show up to rehearsals at all. They don't want to move gear. They don't want to do interviews. I'm like, well, then, you know, why are you in the back? Yeah. Get out. You know? Yeah. Sorry, get out. So my mentality is like, look, man, this is your job. You don't, you don't, I mean, a lot of people say, okay, music business. Okay, yeah, music from, comes first, but business is a massive, important part of it, right? And you've got to handle the business as much as you're handling the music, if not more. Because if you're not handling the business then you're going to have somebody there to rip you off. You're going to have somebody there weighing you down. You know what I mean? Pulling you back. You're like, no, we got to go forward. we got to go. If we're going to be a team, you know, we we got to grow as a team and we got to work together. Because if you're not going to work together, then it ain't going to work. There's always going to be that one guy. I mean, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, there's always going to be that one guy that sucks, that gets benched, and then he gets traded. That's the same thing in music. Same thing. It's a team, yeah. and that's how I look at it. So how's the uh, how's the new team with Nuclear Blast treating you? Great, everything's great. Monty yeah. Connor was Monty Connor was the guy who signed us, you know, way back in the day. He followed us from our demo days. He came out to LA and visited me, you know, visited the band way back, way back. We're talking like 1990, 1991, our first demo. He was into it. He's like, "Look, I'm waiting for you guys to develop." And then once we developed, he's like, "Boom." This is different. I'm going to sign it. So he got Fear Factory since the first demo. He's been following us since that time. And he's seen us develop over the years. And obviously, we know each other extremely well. So when, when we were available um, just uh, you know, a year ago, when we were available, you know, he, he had signed a deal with Nuclear Blast, and he made his own imprint called Nuclear Blast Entertainment. And the minute he found out we were available, he was like, I want you guys. Are like okay, yeah. make it work, and then the bond that we have is amazing. He gets Fear Factory. He he knows every member of the band. He's known us for twenty five years. You know what I mean? So we worship at the uh, altar of Monty Connor. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Monty has a great ear. He understand. You know, he's been doing this for many many years, and then now he's got a great a great team behind him. Everybody at Nuclear Blast. U.S., you know, U.K., and Germany. 
You know, he's got a great team behind him. They're a fucking marketing tool. They're a marketing machine, those guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're on it. They're on it. It reminds me of the day of early Roadrunners when we signed a Roadrunner, where everybody was a fan of the bands that they signed. Yeah. And it wasn't just it wasn't just a job to them. They loved doing the work for the bands that they loved. And so that's what it reminds me of going to Nuclear Blast. Yeah, that's gotta be it's, exciting for you, you know, to kind of get that to get that part of the feeling back, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah, like what the hell was up with that record label from Minnesota? You guys did like uh, one and done with them or something? Did they fold or what happened with them? And they rushed the album I'm not, out. And- I'm not sure what label you're talking about. Well, we were oh, uh, uh, when I came back in the band. Calvin? When I came back in the band. No, that has nothing to do with me. That was yeah, when I was out of the right, band. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. That was those other guys doing deals that I have nothing. Those records disappeared. You can't even, yeah. you can't even, I think they got in trouble for some sort of uh, illegal shady stuff that was going on. Those guys on the label and those records just disappeared. Archetype and transgression. People are blaming me. Oh, Dino came back in the band. They don't want to put those records on iTunes. Oh, you're, you're an <laughs> asshole. I'm like, that has nothing to do with me. <laughs> Trust me. I, I hear it all. It's yeah, all your fault. That has nothing to do with me. That the other version of fear factory. Those records literally just law just disappeared. You can't find them on iTunes, Spotify, nowhere, nothing. Do, do, does anybody know where the masters are or where, who owns? I don't know. Masters? It doesn't it has matter. To, yeah, it has nothing it does to do matter. with me. I told you, it has nothing to do. Well, with I know me. that, but it, I mean, it does matter because it's part of Fear Factory's history, and well, it's, then, it's you know, for you fans. Gotta ask, you got to ask the members who was in the band at that time yeah. for that kind of information. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It has nothing to do with me. I was out of the band. I'd figure you so, made sure that you owned everything throughout the whole thing, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, because well, you're I thinking mean, about when the they, business, right? I mean, you yeah, know? because you're the dude who formed the band. They kick you out. You should be like, hell yeah, but you can't wear my makeup. You know, that's the way that works, right? <laughs> you're making me laugh now. No, <laughs> obviously, when you do deals with record companies, you know they're the ones who own the masters or whoever. I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even have that information. Yeah, but, like but say, Dino, don't you records, own like 15% of those albums or something? I own nothing of wow. archetype or transcription. That has so, nothing to so, do with me. So those guys fucked you completely out of Fear Factory business-wise and otherwise on those two albums? <laughs> uh, no. I was paid for other things. Not, not... Not songs that I didn't write. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, so you got publishing on the songs on those albums that you did co-write? I didn't write on, I didn't write Transgression so, or... So, the, the name. The, I know, but... Okay, so, you're, you're but what, what, you're beating, what is it you're that you're making money horse. off of? Yeah. You're beating Dead Horse merchandise. You're beating the Dead Horse. There you go. Oh, yeah. Merchandise. Albums. Okay. All right, yeah. that's cool. Only that's all I'm asking. Had the fear, only because it has the Fear Factory name on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those records yeah. have nothing to do with me. Just yeah. so we make that clear, you can ask me a thousand questions about those two records. It has nothing to do with yeah. me. That's got to feel damn good when you go to sleep at night and you know you're making money that night <laughs> and you're not doing shit except for like having a well, blast I wasn't, with I your wasn't other necessarily, bands. I wasn't necessarily making a lot of money from yeah. that. Was no, but you're making something. Yeah, I was making something and rightfully so. 
Yes, I agree. I totally agree. No, no, no. Don't get me to we're on the same page. Dino, I'm a huge fan. And I think that you deserve everything that you get. And then some. And I still think that you should have been. There's no way in hell you should have been off those albums. So we are clear. Well, well, you know, I was out of the band. I have nothing to do with those albums again. I, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is that is that is that you it, it should it should be. Dino Factory. That's what it should be. <laughs> that, 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 there's no uh, doubt no, in my mind. No, it should not. No, it definitely should not be that. There's no well, you way know that what I'm saying. Fear Factory without Bert. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Bert's. 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 Uh, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know how to put it, but Bert is a huge, if not more than me, a big part of Fear Factory. That boy.
to the Metal Sucks Podcast today.
New music from Amorphous right there under the red cloud. It's so good. So good. I really love that. Yeah, that's, I was so surprised when I saw Amorphous on 70,000 Tons this past January. As far as like how I, good they were? Well, it was not or, only how good they were, but I thought, see, my relationship with Amorphous like ended after their first album, you know, when they were just pure death metal. Oh, really? You know, and but it was like an also ran death metal band. But I was I was like, oh, cool. I got to I got to check them out because there was, a, you know, that's one of the cool things about these festivals is they find bands, especially from Europe that I never thought I'd get a chance True. to see. And here they are 20 years later. And it's awesome. And I go expecting them to, you know, have like, you know, 50 old dudes in the audience and we get there. And there's like a thousand people. They're young. There's hot chicks, mm. you know, and they do this set. And I'm like, I don't know who the hell these guys are, but these guys are pretty awesome. It was, it was night and day. And it, it sounds really, like something really, really, really different. Cool. See, and I, and I didn't get into them until like 2005, 2006 when uh, Eclipse was the record that got me into them. And, uh, and then I sort of got out of them. Like I didn't really like Skyforger that much, uh, you know, but this new one so far, so far I'm, I'm totally in, man. So congrats yeah, yeah. on that one. That's a great song. Hey, um, and I should add well, real quick, just, I should add that like, like we're, we're, we've been told we'll be attending 70,000 tons again in January. So reach out to us, you know, you listener should join us on the boat it's a great time uh but also like i'm gonna be at bloodstock fest in a couple weeks i think this is the last time we do an episode before uh bloodstock fest happens possibly so uh tweet at me at godless speaks uh and let me know because i i gotta find a tent or something i don't know how this works <laughs> oh no but i gotta do i gotta like rent a tent or something i'm not about to buy a tent. you're gonna be wandering around in a circle in the field somewhere it's gonna be yeah just a, oh i can't dude yeah you, you, you need, a, li- you need a live tweet this whole you need to get periscope <laughs> yes. and you need to put that thing up i want to see this whole thing go down because <laughs> totally be, Ah, dude, yeah, I will. I will watch that in the entire weekend. People are like, "Hey, you know, just so you know, there's like nothing around this festival. It's not like I could like, you know, Airbnb somebody's apartment. You know, there's not there. There's no food around. That sounds like you would hate. You're gonna hate this. Oh my god, this is gonna be terrible for you. If it rains, I can't do push-ups in the mud. I mean, this is gonna be this is gonna be bad for you. This really is. Oh, this could be this. Oh man. Oh, it could be. But you know, the lineup. And everybody that I read on the internet's like, this is the greatest. You just got you just got to sink in, which is the same thing people said about seventy thousand tons. We were so nervous about that. That's like, true. What's this experience going to be? We're going to be stuck on a and boat. We, had a with people and we can't time. escape. Yeah, and it was an amazing time. time. So yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, uh, Howard from uh, All About the Rock uh, Talking Bullocks uh, podcast. He's going to be at uh, oh, Bloodstock. Nice. So I'm looking forward to, to nice. meeting up with Howard. So that'd be awesome. That'll New be awesome. Acid Rain people, check it out. Check it out. Check it out. <laughs> Uh, he made you do it, huh? He, he finally no, got it. No, no. <laughs> uh, love it, love it, love it. All right, that's cool. Hammer you on Twitter. Enough. I love you, Howard. I do, I do. I love you. Hey, uh, Metal Sucks Podcast brought to you by Creative Live. If you want to learn how to record music, you need to check out our friends at Creative Live. They got classes on engineering, mixing, mastering, and taught by artists like Between the Bear and Me, Converge, Periphery, Dillinger. Head over to creativelive.com slash audio to learn more and watch some pre- previews and get yourself educated about uh, this business that we like to talk about so damn much. Uh, yeah, please you su- know. support. If you want to support the Metal Sucks podcast, please support our advertisers. Yeah. Uh, support Creative Live. Uh, give them a little bit of your money. Even if, you know, even if you're you're a dumbass and you want to spend the rest of your life being a dumbass, but at least you're dumb enough to know that you, you like our podcast, you know, just send them money. 
and don't do anything with it. The benefit that, that you're going to get from Creative Live is going to greatly outweigh the money that you would spend on on taking uh, classes or videos. And yeah. like it, like it's it's stuff that you will use, especially if you're in music for any duration of time. You're going to use it the the rest of your life. You're, it's stuff you'll always use. And I'm posting like some of like the the cool classes that I see on there uh, every week on uh, uh, both my Twitter at Godless Speaks and on my Facebook page uh, Godless Speaks. So uh, you know, check them out there and you know, click on something. Please. Well, luckily, I don't need to watch videos because I already know everything, so it's all good. Like I'm I'm totally schooled and everything. But no, you I, trying some to the, some score the, yourself a job? Uh, maybe <laughs> I'm I'm an I'm an expert in stuff and things and maybe okay maybe not maybe i need to take some glasses damn it <laughs> son of a bitch some of that no there's there's actually some subjects that i that i'm i'm, I'm very interested in so i just need the time that's my thing and i know that's the, the great thing about it is that you can do it anywhere anytime and it's right there so I, dude you know what you should be doing you should like uh be when, <laughs> when you're on vacation like creating like a metal heads uh guide to uh, disney world or something guide to disney oh, yeah dude. No, oh man my, i'm telling you you get your ass sued but it'd be fun in the meantime that is true didn't somebody do that where they did like a surreptitious camera like they, they snuck a camera in and like did a whole movie uh like yes under the cuff or whatever oh yeah uh, i gotta find that because that would be actually good to watch i'll be, be curious about that yeah the metalheads guide to, to disney world is uh, it's going to be brutal. I'll, I'll try to get I'll try to get my Metal Sucks T-shirt on one of the roller coasters or something. Maybe with uh, <laughs> maybe with Mickey. That way I can get my show us your Metal Sucks up somewhere. You know. There you go. Yeah. There good go. times. Good times. <laughs> well, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast on iTunes and all that good stuff, man. You can find us on iTunes. Just search Metal Sucks Podcast. You can find us on Stitcher and the other podcasting apps and wherever you like to get them. Leave us a couple of stars wherever it is. Review us. Uh, you can tell us we suck or maybe, maybe, just maybe give us a give us a nice friendly review and tell your friends uh, how awesome our podcast is every once Please in a while. Do. That would be yeah. greatly appreciated. You can also find us on the social media. I am at Bearded Ape. I'm at Godless Speaks and GodlessSpeaks.com. And of course, you can find us on MetalSucks.net every Monday till, well, except for this coming Monday. Be aware. <laughs> we'll get you back with uh, with, with soil work on August 10th. We'll be back for, for that show. But uh, till then, awesome. I am Chuck. I'm Godless. And this is the Metal Sucks Podcast. 